Hi, this is Dan. And this is Joe. And this is Enough Room. It's another Friday and we're back with Enough Room. Thank you for joining us. Yay. <laughs> that's Daniel. Oh, that's Daniel sounding excited and that's Andre yeah, sounding yeah. excited. Yes. <laughs> we still have the awesome Andre um, with us. And yeah, thank you for sticking around with us, Andre. Oh my gosh. Absolute pleasure, guys. Thank you. <laughs> Um, we were just talking about how, you know, there's just so much to digest in the last episode. Um, and I think we'll sort of get into a bit more of that. Um, we, we touched on how, you know, our, I guess our island communities can be quite conservative. So in that context, how do we start having these conversations? Like, where do we even begin? Like, I can't even imagine, it was so hard for me to even have that conversation with my mom. What has that experience been for you, Andre, like with your own family and your own community? Mm, Such a good question. Well, two things. Number one, I would say that you are doing it right now uh, via your podcast and and the work that you guys do. Your very example in sharing these new narratives are going to be very helpful to this new generation of Pacific people you know, who are coming up through the ranks and Christian people as well, and not just young, but people who are older who have been living in the closet and too scared. So I feel like us sharing our stories is very powerful um, and really awesome. Um, But I think the other thing is um, it's not just island churches. And I think what was so fascinating to me is that when I became a pastor in Sydney, you know, Australia and Sydney in particular is such a multicultural society And then I started seeing, you know, Spanish-speaking churches, Russian, Brazilian churches. And I just started to see this pattern of like, oh, my gosh, like these churches could be my Samoan church, you know. Mm -hmm. In that, I could see the conflation of, um, of church and culture as if they were one and the same thing. Do you know? Um, so I started to realize, oh, my gosh, so a lot of people actually come into the church, but it's not just for church as well. It's actually a way that we retain our language and our cultural values and we get to practice them. Um, so unfortunately, though, those two things, uh, if one of those things is against homosexuality, good luck. But if both of those things are against homosexuality, good luck. And then if you put those things together and then put them all under the umbrella of God says, well, oh my gosh, good luck trying to speak against that, you know, or, or trying to resist um, or to push back against this notion that we are bad and we're terrible and we're all, you know, we're the worst things in the world. Um, so I think that's really important that we have those types of conversations in terms of where does culture start and where does it finish. So if you're looking at the Pacific, I think one of the important things is, is that, um, you know, Christianity was absolutely a byproduct of colonization across the Pacific. And the missionization of the South Pacific was so successful that um, today, you know, those of us who are Pacific, like we are more hard out in terms of being against LGBT than mainstream uh, white society is, you know, because we have taken on board those values that the early missionaries actually gave us. So, um, So I think this is a very important thing that one of the things we need to do is actually make that separation between culture and church. 
and God, you know. I always used to remember that my colleagues, um, you know, white colleagues in Australia, Aussie guys, and they would always laugh with me and say, Andre, when we go to Samoa, it's all the islands, it's so tough because, you know, we just want to wear our shorts and our T-shirt and our shirt to church on Sabbath, but we've, but we can't. We actually have to wear, like, full winter jacket, tie, white shirt. Uh, and then they'd laugh and they go, and guess what it was our fault because that's what we introduced to them. We've moved on. They haven't, you know. And so those are the types of conversations that we need to have. Can you not wear a tie to church and still be a Christian? Yes, of course you can. <laughs> you know? So those are the types of conversations that we need to have in our different ethnic communities. And as we're picking that apart, we can then start a conversation around um, sexuality as well. Sorry, last thing I'll just say is that, um, you know, across many sectors, uh, we, we talk about decolonization. And decolonization is basically, uh, we see it in health, we see it in education. And we basically say, look, Western ways, epistemologies or knowledge that was introduced to us that we upheld as the best and as superior and great. And decolonization is the process of actually saying, look, there were some really good ideas in there, but actually we threw the baby out of the bathwater and we threw everything about our cultures out. And there's actually some really wonderful things about the ways that we interpret the world the way that we understand the world that we need to uh, adopt again and that we need to make work for us. And I feel like we need to also decolonize the Bible. And, you know, um, Jesus was not a white American, you know. Um, you know, that's what it means to decolonize the Bible. Let's go back and actually let's look at all of these verses and Jesus, you know, in the cultural context in which this occurred. Um, I think we need to have those types of conversations as well when it comes to sexuality, but when it comes to religion and culture as well. We were recently listening to um, someone talking. It was in the context of Revelation, but um, they made a really interesting comment about how the church does sort of have this strong push of not dressing like the world. But then as he said, well, if you actually look at the world, a suit and tie is worldly. That's what people wear in the business world. So they're forgetting that when everyone rocks up to church in a suit and tie, they look like everyone's going to work. And is that really sort of the impression they want to give? And that's, you know, one aspect of it. But I think another aspect, is, as, as you sort of referred to earlier, is that that whole idea of a suit and tie being the only appropriate attire for church is a white thing. It's a, it's a Western thing. That's not an international thing. And it's not a biblical thing. Jesus didn't wear a suit and tie to church. Taking all that into account... Um, do you think there are a lot of ways that, um, I guess, in a sense, uh, Christianity maybe has influenced culture in the past, but now that has meant that uh, that that sort of has become so ingrained in culture that now Christianity can't move on and grow, and tradition has almost yeah taken over the Bible. Oh. Absolutely, in every way. I think uh, the other important, powerful influence is actually religion and politics and how these mm. become so submerged that we cannot tell one from the other. So in America right now, it's shocking to me, and you're going to just really obviously see my political leanings here, but there are so many people that are in support of Donald Trump, who is this president along so many different metrics we would mm. say, no, probably not a Christian. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm talking about yeah. fruits of the spirit, right? But actually the church has well and truly got into bed with him. 
because um, because of the political lobby in the church that um, that really has what they've done is um, it seems as if Christianity has now become the sum total of where your stance is politically on abortion and also mm. on gay issues. Mm-hmm. And so basically these are now the sum total uh, descriptors and indicators of what it means to be a Christian. So going back to your thought um, when we we're talking about the suit and tie, I always just think, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying anything about it in terms of abortion at all, but what I'm saying is this, is that, my gosh, we have done such a disservice to the gospel when we have um, the sum total now of the gospel is where we stand on politically on these issues. We've got mm. such poor markers and indicators of what it means to be a Christian. We've now, you know, it now becomes like a, a political thing. And so and that means that you can actually be a terrible, horrible person. But so long as you state your political position on these two things, you are now a Christian mm. apparently, you know. And it's the yeah. same with a suit and tie. We have done a disservice, you know, to um, these things because these have become what I call just poor superficial markers of what it means to be a Christian. And you guys mentioned season two, episode one, where you talked about um, the Isaiah, I think either 57 or 58, and actually just talks about our Sabbath keeping is like nothing and our fasting is nothing if we are not caring for the poor. So it's Mm -hmm. just kind of like we've taken these really superficial indicators and we've idealized them and we've focused on them But all of the behavior and the attitude around us, the people who we are and the behavior that we model means little as long as we're doing these things. So we've just become very behavioral and um, and very political. That's very sad. When it comes to what to wear to church, there's, I think anyone would be very hard pressed to find a Bible verse that could back up their beliefs on that. Um, And yet there are other things um, like you talked about, you know, with the whole Politically, there's certain things that if you say this, then you're a Christian. If you if you speak against it, you're not. Um, and, you know, they're kind of using that as a as a measure of your Christianity. Um, and you just said one of those things is sexuality, and I think it's interesting that sexuality is something that people a lot of people feel is very clear in the Bible. But do you feel that that is also something that maybe culture and time has um, twisted our understanding of absolutely you know um you know we those of us who are rainbow and christian know well what we refer to as the clobber text which is basically Mm. essentially five to six bible verses that speak about homosexuality these verses have informed um I suppose the entire um, lobby against us, really, in terms of why we are more sinful and uh, supposedly worse than any other people, that our so-called sin is the worst type of sin that you can have. There's literally six Bible verses that are informing that whole Mm. type of thinking. Um, And these verses, by the way, they need to be investigated uh, for not only historical immediate context at the time, but also how do we apply those verses now? Um, The Bible has been used to weaponize against gay people in the same way that the Bible used to be weaponized against um, different races and also against women as well. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. you know, you look at things like the KKK and this is what the church needs to have a discussion about. 
in America when the KKK was being established, on the very night they established themselves, they were quoting Bible verses. The Bible can be used to support segregation, racism, xenophobia, uh, genocide, incest, uh, mm. you name it. You know what I mean? Like there's a million things that if you wanted to, you can use the Bible to support discrimination and prejudice. We now know that we cannot apply the Bible in those ways in our current context. For instance, divorce. We just know that that can't work. Family violence. We cannot use the Bible to have men beating up their children and their children and, and their wife mm. and their spouses. Mm. Therefore, we have done it with all of these issues where we have had to contextualize the Bible and apply the Bible in a modern context to fit the reality of the world today. So when people talk mm. about, no, you can't, like, I'm not changing the Bible, you know, the world changes, but the Bible doesn't change. And I was going, uh, no, the Bible, we have changed our understanding interpretation of the Bible a million times over. All we're asking for now is now let us be the new cab off the rank, the new group of mm. people that you've discriminated against for so long. Let us be that new group of people that now you are going to accept and love and review your interpretation of the Bible that you have held against us for so long. We're asking for that, for us, for you to do yeah. that to us now. You've done it before. That's so true. That is so true. And and I often wonder, like, why, why are we so scared? Because I, I look at, um, and I should have a quote somewhere on here, but, you know, there's quotes from people like Ellen White herself who, um, you know, say that uh, truth is progressive and as time goes on, we will be able to see more truth and more light on certain things. Why are we so afraid of having these conversations or taking another look at, you know, the club attacks, um, having a look at the context. Like I, I had this whole conversation once with um, a young man who, um, and this was up in Brisbane, who um, said that he used to be gay, but now no longer was. Um, and he was wondering how I was still gay and Christian and how I could marry those two. And we had a good long conversation and, you know, he asked me about the clobber text and, you know, I, I said, well, we have to look at, you know, the context and the time and automatically, you know, the walls went up and went, no, no, you can't do that. Can't, you know, relook at scripture and try to change its meaning. Why are we so afraid? Like, hmm. yeah, we've become afraid because unfortunately the people who have the loudest voice, um, you know, they're not us, you know. Uh, it was the same time as well where, you know, mm -hmm. for a long time, church pastors were saying to women who were being beaten up by their husbands, pray about it, he's a good man, you know. Um, we were saying the same thing to children who were being abused mm -hmm. as well. We didn't believe the witness of the women and the children who were experiencing because the people who have the loudest voice, their perspectives and their view on life was being privileged, you know. Um, and, and so we only listen to them and their experiences of it. And so until we allow a diversity of voices into the church who also experience God, by the way, not just you cohort of, you know, straight men, um, then we can start to see how the Bible can be applied and how the Bible can come alive in, in different people. And this is what I really love about Jesus. I, honestly, he is just amazing. Uh, so the way that Jesus modeled inclusivity and acceptance of women in the Bible is something else. 
So, you know, Jesus never once went around the Bible saying, I'm a feminist or I'm into women's rights or that you should look after women um, explicitly and specifically, but everything he did showed that, you know, uh, he just elevated women, you know. So, you know, I, you know Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus in the posture of a disciple to a rabbi. That's, we, we shouldn't bypass that, you know. He's walking with, 12 men, male disciples, mm. and uh, when he gets crucified and is at the cross, 11 of them have run away, you know, and who's at the cross but one man and three women. Who is the first person that actually goes to, who sees at the yeah. grave is a woman. Who's the first evangelist in John 4, the Samaritan woman, who, by the way, was not um, a Jewish person. So Jesus just constantly breaking down the patriarchy, left, right, and center. He's modeling and mm. showing, like, this is what the scripture looks like when it comes to life. You know, like, you know, John 1, like, in the beginning was the word, and the word became alive, mm. and the word came to life. So when we look at Jesus, like, if we're doubting uh, these clobber texts, we only have to look at the way that he embodied and lived out scripture. That's our clue in terms of how we apply it. And so I would just say this, if we have done that for women, the next cab off the rank is not only people of color who, by the way, everyone in the context of the Bible were people of color. Can we just say that? <laughs> you know, in, in the process of time through racism and everything else, mm, it yeah. suddenly got adopted by everyone in England and America, you know, and now people of color are on the outside. What the hell? How did that happen? Mm. You know, so, um, so now, you know, mm, yeah. the Bible has now become broader and we have allowed in people of color. And, I'm just saying we need to do the same for rainbow people as well. It's in, it's interesting um, thinking about, you know, how often people kind of, when they hear us and our theology and our ideas and you know, interpreting the Bible, there is just this idea that we're, um, we're liberal and we've gone down this liberal path, we're throwing out scripture, we're not taking scripture seriously and all this sort of just this, this way of thinking that we're not, we're not being true to the word. And yet, you know, listening to so much of what you're saying, I just kept in the back of my mind, I just kept thinking actions speak louder than words, actions speak louder than words and the actions of Christ. I mean, what he says is, you know, is enough for me, but what he did with his life just speaks so much to, I mean, to me, I think if I want a, a sort of a measure, if I want a yardstick to, to check what the, what everything in the Bible, you know, says, what it means, how to interpret it, I would want to look at Jesus' life and see how he lived, what he did. And if if some text somewhere seems to go against that and doesn't seem to line up with and match with what he was doing with his life, then maybe I need to rethink how I interpret it. And it just makes me think, yeah, really? Have we, do you really think we've thrown the scripture out or do you actually think we've, we've been able to see a deeper picture and, and have a deeper understanding that hey, Daniel, these are just words mate, and words are get it because we've been on the outside. You know, um, you know, when you are gay and Christian, I there is no one who is gay that I don't know, even if they come from uh, fiercely agnostic or atheist households. The moment they knew they were gay and when they were young, they would pray to God. What does it tell you, you know, that they do not want to be gay? Not because it's bad, but because society's 
everything that we've ever said about it is horrible. But secondly, that yeah. um, that even from a young age, we lean on God in a way that straight people will never understand. So I'm just going to say that, you know. Yeah. And so for us, it's the same with um, some women as well, that we read Jesus differently because of our lived experience. Mm. So when we see him going around and being so inclusive, we absolutely get that because we know what it feels like to be on the outside. So, yeah. I mean, even this, Jesus is just so incredible. You know that story about him being anointed by the sinful woman? Um, mm. One Bible describes it, the notorious sinful woman, you know. And he not only allows her to get close, he actually, I mean, guys, we can't move past this. He, you know, she cries into his feet, washes his feet with her tears, uh, and then also with the expensive perfume and then dries his feet with her hair i mean that's just incredible what he's doing and then anyway all the people around him are getting very angry and he goes i tell you um not only will the stories woman's story be told all around the world but he actually uses it as an example to say he who is forgiven much loves much and i kind of feel like that's us because because we've been taught that homosexuality is a sin, we're ever aware of our so-called sinfulness more than straight people are from a very early age. And so we rely and depend on him on a different way. And so um, so when we read the scripture, it really comes um, yeah, alive to us. And um, so I would say, no, we are not reinterpreting. We're not being selfish. I kind of feel like, get, do you want an insider's view of what the Bible is like to people like us? It's different from your view, you know? And this is why we love Jesus so much. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Enough Room. We'll be dropping another episode in about a week's time. So until then, follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Till next time. Bye.